Hi, this is Mish Hancock, and you are listening to Mishmash, a place where I get to talk to the weird, wacky, wonderful people of this world, people I adore and want to know more about. Today, my guest is Sharon Deem, DVM, PhD. She is an elephant aficionado with major wildlife veterinary and epidemiology chops. Chops, as in 100 plus articles, 25 book chapters, and research in 30 plus countries. Even if you've yet to dip into her prolific zoological explorations, you can catch her world-renowned ideas that bind human, animal, and environmental health. Hi, Sharon. Hey, Mitch. It's so good to be here. I'm so happy you're here. Yes. So, um, so we were we we were talking about so many things before we started uh-huh. this podcast today. But you're out at the at the St. Louis yep. Zoo. Tell me about your adventures at the zoo right now. Right. So I have been with the St. Louis Zoo for about 10 years now, and I'm the director of their Institute for Conservation Medicine. And in this program, we do all things health. So health, uh, particularly of wildlife animals, right? So wildlife populations around the globe. But we really look at it, one, because we want to conserve wildlife. We yes. want to we want to conserve endangered species, but we always do it in this uh looking at it in terms of how wildlife, how animal and human and environmental health all intersects and how each is dependent on the other. I love that. And it's true. I mean, it we is true. <laughs> we will, bees. Hello. If you don't know the bee story by now, but right. you know, you think about, I mean, so we all know about bees, but what are some other animals that we don't think about that are very, very important to us? So I could name every animal on this planet. It's probably here for a reason, right? right? True. <laughs> so, I, uh, can I just tell so, you I love bats because bats eat mosquitoes? Right. Uh, <laughs> and you know what? You've hit it on the nail here in the U.S. and here in Missouri and we know our bats are in trouble because of various diseases. So one is a fungal disease that is really uh, came into our country about 12 years ago. Oh, gosh. And did you know this? No. Oh, my gosh. So we've lost uh, about 6 million bats oh from this gosh. disease. And, and bats have a lot of sort of uh, double whammy. They have a lot of challenges that are facing them. And you're right. You love bats. Bats because they eat the mosquitoes, right? That's their job. That's one animal I don't, I can't really love are the mosquitoes. I'm sorry, mosquitoes. That's fair. fair. We'll let you off on that one. (laughs) Okay, thank you. So, but you know, bees, bats, vultures, uh, elephants, engineering our ecosystems, these animals are out there every day doing things for our health, for public health. And we often, they just don't get the cred they need or deserve. Right. Yeah. And so, part of what you're doing at the same St. Louis Zoo, other than taking care of all of these animals, is also educating everyone on the importance of why they're here and why why they are connected to us. I mean, they really are. Exactly. And so at our zoo, as uh, all good accredited zoos have, we have a really strong veterinary department. So a clinical department, which is different than the department that I lead. And so we have a, a dedicated veterinary staff that is caring for the health of the animals in our collection. But the the work I do is primarily outside the zoo, uh, vultures and elephants and turtles and all those other great creatures, and trying to understand some of the health threats that they have that are facing them and their ability to survive, but also looking at the importance of these species for our health, for environmental health and human health. So I'm sure you have traveled the world. I've been to a lot of places. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Um, I mean, and so I can't. So paint a picture for me because you know when we watch the the wildlife programs and we see the person and they're out in the middle of the jungle. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm just kind of thinking like the romanticized version of all of this, but it, it's probably a lot of work. It is a lot. Yes, yes, yes. All everything you just said is true, right? <laughs> so <laughs> it's a lot of work, and it is romantic. And there are uh, still there is still wilderness out there. There are still areas so worth saving, so worth protecting for the animals that are dependent on them. For we as a species, we are dependent on these areas. Uh, I have had um, one or two adventures <laughs> in these wilderness areas, and uh, the work is not for everyone, but for folks like myself and many others that have a passion uh, to, to really help uh, understand these disease threats and, and, and hope for, work for um, healthy populations, uh, there are places across this planet and even right here in Missouri <laughs> that uh, wilderness exists and we need to work to protect it. Right. So tell me, you know, we, we, bats is an example or, or wherever you want to take this, but, you know, the bats have this fungal thing happening that has to be, how, where do you even start? Are you studying the bats and are you coming up? I mean, like, I can't imagine trying to run into cages and go, guys, got to take your medicine. So, <laughs> well, there's a point and, and a lot of, so a lot of wildlife conservation, wildlife health is not so much about quote treatment, but it's more about prevention. Okay. So understanding why we're having wildlife die-offs, why we're having these health challenges. And, and I would venture to say 99%. 99.9. .9. So a high percentage of these challenges are kind of human driven. So we yeah. are the ones, we humans were the ones who helped bring this fungus, this new fungus to, to the U.S., to our continent. We often are the ones that with our growing footprint, right, there's 7.6 billion of us running around this one planet. Exactly. <laughs> it's sort of we are putting some uh, pressures onto these wildlife populations. So really trying to understand what those pressures are. But you know, you mentioned uh, the bats and 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 the fungal infection. There are a lot of wonderful researchers out there trying to understand how do we minimize what's happening, how do we slow the spread of this fungus, how do we and treatments are being looked at. So it's not we don't always say no treatments because because right. many wildlife populations now do have uh, treatments that are necessary. So it's kind of that, that continuum, looking at prevention, mitigating the risk, and then in some cases, we actually reach for treatment. Wow. I can't even imagine. This, it, it feels like a, a really big thing, a big, big, big issue, because it, it's not just bats. So if we if you're talking about a big issue being one health, so if we're thinking about the health of all animals, right, all people oh, and the planet, it gets dizzy. kind of big, right? <laughs> yes. No, I understand that, and you know, but but it's also it can be <clears throat> put down into bite sizes, right? Because within this system, and I'll call Earth our system, right, the planet itself, we have all different types of ecosystems, we have all different types of animals, and different interactions between people and animals. So we can look at each of those as uh, one part of the, the One Health equation and, and come up with sort of solutions to those problems. And uh, so that makes it a little bit more 
don't freak you out, this big bad right, right, thing right. we're talking about. Right. And then when you, you know, with anything, even spreadsheets, I might add for you. <laughs> and Sharon knows I'm not a big lover of spreadsheets. So. If you do it one cell at a time, you can get through the spreadsheet. And that's right. kind of, you know, in, in lots of parts of medicine, we say that. And, and so when we look at these connectivities, you don't just say, oh my gosh, it's too big and there's nothing I can do because there is. There's little pieces that we can each play a part. And then um, there's probably yeah. a ripple effect. Like you you help this species and that will therefore help this species, which will, gotcha, I love it. Well, we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back with Sharon Deem. back with Sharon Deem and we, we were kind of talking during the break about what can we do we're talking about reduce reuse recycle don't buy so much even though yeah you can just practically think it in your brain and it shows up at your doorstep nowadays <laughs> but um, but what are just give us some hints some th- some things that are very doable for us so so I think the first thing for all of us to really think about is this connectivity and that Everything you do today, tomorrow, next week does have a ripple effect, right? So it does have some kind of connection and it can be positive or negative. And we, where we sit here in Missouri, where we sit here in the US, we have so much power at our fingertips. And part of that is the power to buy or not buy things. If we are going to buy things, to look at whether it's local, whether it's sustainably uh, sourced. I mean, there's so many options that we have that really can make our footprint less and, 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 and help with planetary health. But then also when we come into our own health, right, we can right. think about what we're going to eat today, right? And I, I recently read that here in the U.S., you in a daily, your average day, in the next 24 hours, you will eat food from 20 to 25 countries really? on average. So if we think about that and, and what that might mean in terms of sort of the global community and the, the what it takes to move the food around, carbon dioxide and things yep. like that, yep. we can see where maybe eating more local <laughs> will help um, minimize some of those impacts. So there's so many, and people people often are like, oh, these are little things. Well, little, 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 little becomes big, right? A whole bunch <laughs> of people doing the little things will have an impact. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I just had, I had on uh, the, the people from Visia uh-huh. were on and that that's their whole thing is local. You know, they, they right. source all of their food from local farmers and what have you. And, you know, and they said, so, you know, it kind of depends on the time of year and what's available and, you know, and they're very creative with it, which is awesome. But, you know, it's, it's everything. You can go to the gas station and buy your food nowadays, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you like, ah, oh, pick up some, some, you know, some nuts and, you know, it, it, and we've become such a, you know, just grab and go kind of society. It, it's almost like we have to really 
shift our mindset on that. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, we are at an interesting time. Like we were talking about earlier with technology and our connectivity. We are members of a global community, and that's powerful, and that's wonderful in one sense, but we're kind of on this threshold understanding how to take the positives of this global community without really destroying the planet, right? Right, <laughs> right. Because, you know, when you and I were growing up, you couldn't go to the grocery store and buy fruits all year round. There no. were seasons for things, right? Right. And that has changed. But that has come at a cost, at a sort of a environmental cost. And even I would venture to say at a human health cost in one sense, because what it takes to raise crops, uh, food products um, from both the, the chemicals that are used, the antibiotics that, you know, and what that may mean, preservatives of these uh, food items, what that then means for human health. So again, you can see how it's all connected. Exactly. And if you make right choices for your health, you can also be making right choices for planetary health. And we, we go so crazy though. I mean, you know, as a, it really, because it's like, you know, something like an orange, that yeah. you know should not be available twenty four seven everywhere, um, but it is now. Right. And so, oranges are no longer the special thing because when mm. I was a kid, I remember my grandma and grandpa always put oranges in our Christmas stockings. Right. Right. And that was like a big thing, like you know, with, and to them because to them and you know, as us kids were like, why are they giving us oranges again? Like <laughs> right, we right, just right. can go to the grocery store and yeah. buy oranges whenever we want. But in their mind, that was a special thing because you didn't get them right. in Missouri, even. Right. It, right. You know, somebody had to go to Florida uh -huh. and bring them home with them, uh -huh. you know. And now oranges are like, well, just right. oranges. Right. And so there's a positive to that, right, on one level. But we, I think it's really important for each of us to consider what what kind of it takes for that orange to be on your, you know, kitchen counter today yes. or on December 20th or, you know, and, and really to kind of once we start thinking about those connectivities, you educate yourself, then you can start, you know, knowledge is power. Then you can start looking at ways that you can approach things that are, again, better for your health, but also for planetary health, for environments, for wildlife. Gotcha. Yeah. So... <laughs> When I go to the zoo, I'm I'm always amazed. Like, how much food shows oh. up to the <laughs> zoo every day for all of the animals? I mean, wh who delivers so, the zoo food? So you know? I cannot totally answer that question, but you should on your podcast. We have a whole nutrition department, and we have a curator, a PhD in nutrition at the zoo. Oh, I'd love to have them on. And and you know, to feed eighteen thousand animals, yeah. it takes a little bit of groceries, uh, and we have things from American bearing beetles to elephants, and you can imagine the variety of I food that's needed. I can't imagine. I mean, I really can't. I I was thinking about that this morning. You know, yeah, I was yeah. thinking, where, who keeps that grocery list? Right. So <laughs> I can give you her name after this podcast and you oh, should buy it. Because thinking about, again, how you feed animals, how you feed the 7.6 billion human population, these are these are big, I, I would say, one health questions, right? Right, right. And everybody's got to eat. Everybody's got to eat and have water. And, yes. So, yeah. Oh, my gosh. And so that's a whole other thing, the water. 
the water. Yeah. See, it's getting a little bigger, 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 but that's okay. That's okay. Don't stress. So yeah, I mean, when we think of, and uh, some of the things we'll talk about at TEDx is, you know, water quality and, and, you know, water is life, right? And we know that and we are dependent on it as are a number of other animals. And, you know, here in Missouri at the confluence, the Missouri, the Mississippi, these amazing river systems and sort of some of the challenges to river health and what that means, again, for our communities, but also for some of the wildlife species that are out there. And don't give away too much of your TEDx talk, but I'm so excited <laughs> for it. But, you know, are you, I mean, how has the process been so far? Uh, for myself, it's been good. It's been really interesting to think that I think about uh, the, the health challenges and ways to come up for solutions. I've been thinking about that oh, for the, about the last 25 years. So it's neat to try to... And now we're like, hi, tell us all in like 15 minutes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Your 25 years of experience. Yeah, so that's been a little uh, interesting, the process on that. Yeah. I know, it is. It is, but I'm really excited for that. And yeah. who's your speaker facilitator? So I have two, actually. I have Tina uh, O'Toole and Mary Lucky. Oh, awesome. Yeah, so two I, very good people. Mary and I go away. Back. Yeah, there I you look. go. That's, yeah. Well, that's Awesome. Yeah, well, yeah. good. Well, okay. So I'm I'm thinking of the zoo right now, mm-hmm. and and I and I was telling you I, I really wanted to go the other day. Yeah. I kept thinking I'm like it's been on my mind because you were coming on. But is there what should we go see right now at the zoo? Well, everything. But uh, so it, this is a wonderful time of year. So today's the first day of spring, right? Right. We're feeling it. The animals are feeling it. And really when, uh, even though it's a little chilly out and it doesn't feel um, completely like the first day of spring, but we're, we're feeling that environmentally. And, and that's an exciting time for the animals. And, and they really do get a spring in their step, shall oh, we say. Fun. And, and so I, I think it's a really good time. And, and the other thing about, you know, the St. Louis Zoo, in particular is our landscape there. Our horticulture department is top notch and it's just a beautiful space to be, enjoy the animals, be in nature. That's really nice. And to put a spin on this to get you over to the zoo is we have increasingly, and and our group at the zoo is, is one that's shown this, showing the sort of positive human health aspects of nature right? So you're having a hard day, you're stressed out, you're not feeling very well. Spending a few hours at your local zoo, out in nature, in a park, can really help physically and psychologically for your own uh, health. So, right. so that's kind of a win-win, right? You get yeah. to chill out and enjoy the animals and, and you're doing positive things for your health. I love it. We're going to take another break. We will be right back with Sharon Dean. back with Sharon Deem and it is question time. Okay. So I love elephants too. I have to Mm. look at my bracelet. I have have an elephant on my bracelet. Oh, nice. I love elephants. Okay. But is there, okay, so you do have a favorite fact or thought about elephants? Oh, there's so many. I I suppose what I really love about elephants and like you, I love virtually everything. I appreciate their intellect and their family style. I think um, they have bonds that are beautiful and amazing. 
And I've seen I've seen videos mm-hmm. on that are just mm-hmm. I mean oh my gosh mm-hmm. I, I love that they are that caring for the children and how you know I've seen things where the, a baby might be in trouble and all the elephants are yeah. kind of gathering around them to yeah. make sure to keep them safe and yep. it's so it's touching. Beautiful. Yeah, this kind of goes right into my next question, okay. um, which is: Do you think that animals have a soul? Oh my gosh, this is great. What a great question. So I want to preface it by this weekend at my Unitarian church. It was all on the soul and do we have souls? So uh-huh. I would say we all have souls. I, I swear <laughs> animals have souls, right? Yeah. I mean, well, you know, I don't know how I don't know how people think they couldn't. You just look at their eyes. And and you know that yeah. there's 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 something going on in there and they're connected to the world and they have their own feelings and thoughts and so yeah and I do think you know this is really an interesting question for to 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 bring up and one of the things that we over the last few decades have really come to appreciate is just what animals are, right? The emotional lives of animals, the intelligent lives of the, you right. know, we humans and the other non-human animals that share our kingdom, right? <laughs> um, we are a, basically a continuum. And so I think it's really been great. In my profession in veterinary medicine, we've really come to understand sort of the, the psychological and physical needs of animals and, right. and what they deserve and, and need just like humans. And again, I approach things from the medical side. That's my my training and my background. And, you know, we are... We we are um, biological beings, and so are animals, right? And, right. And so we um, we experience and and uh, have some of the exact same uh, medical uh, needs, and I think that's been something that really the the general public hasn't thought a lot about. Right. right? But but there's a, so much information out there now. So. But I think if you yeah. have a pet, you I mean, right. All you do is have a pet. And and you know that animals have a soul, right. and that they have feelings. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, you just—that's all it takes. You get a pet, people. Get a um, pet. <laughs> but not an exotic pet. Get a but, dog or a cat. Get a dog or a cat. Thank you. There you go. Yeah, because that would be nice. I do wonder sometimes about some of these pets that people like the. Um, oh, what were they? Sugar gliders yeah. were a thing. Like the people at the mall. There's people at the mall selling sugar gliders. I'm like. Dogs That's and not cats. feeling like a good idea, you know. Um, what about reptiles? How do you feel about people having reptiles? So I work a lot on wild populations of turtles, and turtles are one of the most endangered taxa right now. So turtles are in trouble. So all kinds of turtles. Gotcha. Right? So I think anything we can do to help uh, turtles remain on the planet is a good thing. Okay. So I think there's um, there's a lot of um, good folks that are working uh, to try to conserve turtles. I I think in that vein, it's positive. So or there's about 320 species of turtles out there, and about half of them are endangered with extinction. Wow, really? So that's not good, right? No. So we, as, um, as people, as conservationists, really need to do whatever can be done to try to help slow um, the loss of these species. And is that what the St. Louis Box Turtle Project is about then? So, you know, the St. Louis Box Turtle Project, which we've been doing about six years now, 
now is all about science and understanding the the box turtles that live right here in Missouri. Yeah. It's our state reptile, the three-toed box turtle. There you go. I didn't know that was I our state. See. I didn't know I we even see. had a state reptile. We have a state reptile. All right. So now I'm in the know. The three-toed box turtle is our um, state reptile. It's an amazing little creature. So we're learning about some of the health threats and it's it kind of what it needs in terms of home ranges, its movement and so forth. But the biggest part of this pro- project and one we're so thankful for is our outreach. We have now uh, taken thousands of, of people and students out to meet turtles. And so they go on little safaris. So we have little telemetry devices on oh, the turtles. They get to take an antenna and go find the turtles. And it's like an African safari adventure. But then they find the turtles. And they start to think about what it takes to be a box turtle in Missouri to survive, right. hibernate during the winter, what what they need to, to kind of just get through the day, get through the year. And that's when we're really engaging people to to think about the wildlife in, in, their, um, in their state. Conservation is not just over there in Africa or, or Asia. Conservation is right here. And so this project, really getting these people out to meet a box turtle, to be out in the woods where those turtles are really gets people thinking about the connection and how important the health is of those right. environments that the box turtles are dependent on. And help the turtles get across the street. And we were talking about that. We were talking about that earlier when I lived out at the lake yeah. and I, I would like jump out and get the turtle and put it. But my, my daughter one time, we, you know, we stopped, I got the turtle, I put the turtle across the street and, you know, hopped in the car. My daughter's looking at the turtle and she's like, mommy, it's not moving. It's not moving. And I was like, it'll be fine. Right now it's just a little stunned. It was like, wow, I just flew. I didn't know I could fly. Because as far as the turtle's oh, concerned, because oh. no, because I picked oh, it up. You moved I picked it, it yeah, up yeah, and yeah, moved yeah. it. It was probably like, what the heck just happened? How did yeah. I do that? <laughs> like he's just stunned right now. He'll be fine. But you know, we always were helping the turtles. We always did. So you know, and it's spring is coming. So the females in particular, yep. right? So here in Missouri, our turtles brumate or hibernate. They kind of chill out for the winter and get through the cold time. But now they're starting to come up, and females in particular are on the move so they can lay their eggs. Right. And so we are going to see more and more box turtles, uh, painted turtles, snapping turtles crossing the roads, and really the best thing you can do if you do it safely, right? Because right? yeah. the roads are dangerous for all of us, but is whichever way that turtle is directed, yes. <laughs> move it to that move side. Move it that way. That's what we right. used to do too. I'm like, whatever yeah. way the turtle's facing, that's where it wants to go. So put it on that. Don't move it backwards. Like, oh, great. It has to start all start over, over again. And I'm not a fast mover, that's by right. the way. <laughs> that's right. So, but really, you know, roads, roads are one of the biggest threats to turtles uh, in many areas of the world. Right. And here in the U.S. So having them, helping them to safely get across is really important and to be safe while you're doing it. Exactly. Yeah. So my other question for you is, tell me about one of your favorite adventures because you've had adventures. Oh, Lordy. Oh, I uh, wasn't expecting that one. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, a lot of my work over the years has really been together with ecologists or biologists. And, and so I, um, as the veterinarian, I will look at health issues. So some of the diseases that are, are um, uh, threatening 
species. But also I've um, spent a lot of time uh, just helping uh, the biologists put tracking devices on things. So like GPS, global positioning, satellite, telemetry devices on from parrots and maned wolves to elephants. And um, it, some of the, the, the times working with forest elephants in, in Central Africa were um, just amazing times out uh, with um, local people. So uh, tracking uh, elephants so we could get collars on them. Okay. And um, there were one or two rather adventurous events, <laughs> which um, I'm not sure we have time for. I see oh, a Oh, we've got time. we got time. <laughs> we're not going to know. We got to hear this story. <laughs> so, um, well, well, there's a, there's a few of them, but I think the one I want to talk about it, it gets us back to sort of the beauty of elephants. So, um, again, I was working uh, with a, a biologist, Stephen Blake, who I happened um, to decide to marry. So, we were, <laughs> I was helping him with his PhD to get collars onto um, the elephants, and we were with a group of um, the local pygmy people because that's who tracks elephants, right? And they, working with Steve over the years, they had gone from being uh, elephant poachers to really helping conservation. They're the people who understand, right, elephants and elephant movement. And so um, this one particular day, um, and I, I would be darting the elephants to anesthetize them so they could be asleep because you're not going to just yeah, you can't just like hey come here let me <laughs> so, put this on you ah, sure fine so this one particular day we were at a buy which is these clearings in Central Africa that the animals have made over millennium so they can forage and grass in, in these really um, forested areas and and I darted this elephant thinking, oh, this is wonderful. And, and the, the team's going to go in. We're going to get the collar on. I make sure, you know, she's healthy and so forth. And it turns out, uh, not knowing it, I probably had darted the matriarch. And very soon, there was a group of forest elephants, and their social structure is very different than savannah elephants. And, and they had all come in to protect her. So suddenly, our oh. little group could not touch her, right? right? Because it was not safe. Obviously, it was not safe. So um, we just had to sit there for a couple hours hoping that the drug that I used would wear off and, and it got to be dark and, you know, very, very long night out there in the rainforest. The next morning, we got up to go to the place to make sure everything had been fine. And and. She was gone. The 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 All the elephants were gone. And, and basically, for me, that was a... Um, a real eye-opener on sort of these animals, you know, they did not know I had darted her. She was sleeping. Right. It was, we were doing something to protect them. You know, forest right. elephants are so endangered today. They just were there to keep her, quote, safe. And it was just really just, made, they, were, they, they didn't know if we were a group of horrible poachers that were going to take them all down. They were there. They were there together. They Aww. were there as one, and it was just it. You know, it was awesome. It was That's it was beautiful. it was great to to really um, understand sort of that that unit 
of those animals and and they were they were one you know they were all going to go down together or not and um again they had no idea that we were the good guys right so right. yeah you're right. there to help but they don't know they, they're like right. that doesn't look good so so that was really that was about um 16 hours of really interesting times around the campfire with the with the team and just kind of talking about elephants and what this means because it was too dark and too dangerous and and the next morning just um all of us jumping up and down and just so happy that it had all worked out well and everybody's yeah. everybody's yeah. fine and happy everybody's fine oh my and gosh happy. i love yeah. that and i love elephants yeah, so there's too. something about them yeah. well thank you sharon thank you for having me this yeah. has been awesome yeah. conversation Good. i sure appreciate it you're welcome yeah thanks and for everybody out there you can catch her tedx talk on april 12th which is uh, that's going to be out at the sheldon think well is the name of that event and if you're listening to this after april 12th 2018 <laughs> you're going to need going to need to find it uh, just google it just right? google it tedx talk sharon deem d-e-e-m thank you sharon thank you for everybody out there you've been listening to mishmash podcast thank you so much find us on itunes have a good one everybody mm-hmm.